on this episode of the Evolve Podcast. If the true origin of this story, the origin of us being on a call together, occurred in the third thought, which was David, you do not need to be the person who can change the world. You only, only, slowly need to become the person who could. And that's where I found my freedom. That's where I found the space to then be able to step into the journey of becoming the person. Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I interview purpose-driven founders and leaders to educate, inspire, and empower your success in leaving an impact on the world. The goal here is for the rest of us to ask the world's biggest questions, build startups to solve them, and live fulfilling lives in the process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is recognized on the world's top 100 compassionate business leaders as number four between Dr. Muhammad Yunus and Elon Musk. Being a steward of the earth and a champion for the poor, he is the founder of Plastic Bank, a social enterprise committed to stopping ocean plastic by turning plastic into gold with store chains in the poorest parts of the world that accept plastic waste as currency. Celebrating their seventh anniversary, the organization has collected 11 million kilos of plastic, registered over 19,000 members, and opened over 300 branches in five of the poorest countries in the world projected to reach an annual revenue of 65 million. Believing that the journey is the destination, this entrepreneur went from pursuing Armani suits to freeing others from poverty. What is truly extraordinary is not the millions of kilos of plastic collected, but the thousands of the world's most impoverished individuals who now have the opportunity to have an entrepreneurial experience and to make a living through plastic collection. A serial entrepreneur himself, he's founded multiple organizations, including the Core Values Institute and a successful exit of Neuro Global, which provided GPS tracking to thousands of vehicles nationally. He is internationally recognized as the best in sustainability, and this powerhouse has received numerous awards, including the United Nations Lighthouse Award for Planetary Health. He's been featured in Forbes, Time, National Geographic, and over 300 uh, other articles from around 25 countries, and has been showcased in the award-winning documentary A Plastic Ocean, its TV reality show, and numerous stages around the world, including TED, which has garnered 2 million views to his social plastic movement. I'm honored to welcome founder and CEO of Plastic Bank and a lifelong entrepreneur whose only job was a waiter in college, David Katz. It's a nice welcome. Thank you very much for all those beautiful words. That's kind. Thank you. Hi. Absolutely. Well, it's good to have you on the show. And I'd actually like to uh, start with your childhood when you were living on the West Coast of Canada and your parents are both entrepreneurs. Your dad was a mariner. Do you think this yeah. laid the foundation for where you are today? Authentically, authentically, powerfully, we are all the product of every experience and every decision we've ever made. So, of course, it's, it's, it's not possible to be where I am without everything that I've experienced so far, as any listener on this call would be. There are things that have occurred in your life that have drawn you to be on this journey right now with us listening and certainly growing up on the west coast of canada walking the beach to school watching debris wash up on on my beach 35 years ago was a part of that journey certainly sailing at sea with my dad doing offshore sailing 
and and experiencing the ocean and its majesty and its power was a part of that journey. Certainly entrepreneurship and the family and persevering was a part of the journey. All of the dysfunction of my family was a journey. Having children was a part of my journey. Losing a child, experiencing that was a part of my journey. Mm. All of it, all of the compassion, the love, the depth, the fortitude was found in experience and everything that I once thought was pain. Everything that I once experienced as being a challenge or an infliction was in fact an instruction. You've had quite a journey as an entrepreneur as well. I mean, you've had a restaurant, karaoke business, and then different things. Oh my things. goodness. How do, you, how do you think all these multiple organizations have helped you? Did I tell you all of these things? How did you discover these things? <laughs> I do a lot of research. Oh my goodness. So funny. Of course they did. Everything is a lesson. Life is an instruction if we open ourselves to it when we look at it. At the time, of course, I wasn't awake. And at, at the time, I was like, oh, wow, what, what, what else do you have for me, world? Like, why so much pain? Why mm. why so much? Why, why, so, why the enslavement? Why the degradation of my life? Why, why all of that? Easy questions to ask when you're in it. Right. Because you can't see the light in such a shadow. And then in our youth as well, in that early part of our, of our freedom of life, 20 to 30, you know, we're aspiring to be something. We want to look good and not look bad. Trying to find position in society, we think. And then when we look at those things as sometimes the substantive proof that we're not good enough. We further live in the affliction of it. But in that awakening, when we can come to the learning that I only have the very present moment, and that in the sheer improbability of my existence, and I can look at it all as a gift. If I'm alive, and that was provided as a gift in my life, then everything inside of it is as well a gift. So how do I look at it newly and recreate? And now moving forward, it's not even a recreation, it's just a creation. How do I look at what's unfolding in me and folding in front of me and go, oh, what, that is a part of my creation. I've created this experience anyhow. What further do I get to create as I move forward? Right. I can choose to be happy. I can choose to be sad. I can choose to feel injustice. Only choice. So why not choose gift? Why not choose the expanse of the universe that comes inside of every experience. Create the universe that I want to live into. A bit esoteric, but all truth. What do you think the lessons were that helped you to open your mind to this? Because you mentioned it was easier to ask the type of questions of why me, why the pain when you were younger, but now have a broader view. Well, we always thought that it meant something about us. And nothing means anything about us. It's just as it is. It's just as it occurs in the world. We're looking for a position. And when we encounter struggle, we think that it means something about us. 
you know, one of the greatest gifts that I received in this journey of the plastic bank was as well delivered the very moment that I had the idea for the plastic bank. Yeah, you know, I, I received three things when the when the plastic bank was born. I received the idea that it was people's perception of the material that really was the degradation of the environment. When we look at the bottle, most people think it's free. What if we change the paradigm? What if people looked at it and said, now that's the end of poverty, that's the end of pain, that's it's my tuition, it's everything else. What if, you know, metaphorically, every single bottle or every piece of packaging was five US dollars? Would we see any in the environment? No, everyone would go get it. So I had the idea of the plastic bank, creating a monetary system, creating it as a currency for the world. That's not where what I do today was born. That was just an idea. It was not born in the second thought, that's assured, because the second thought that I received simultaneously was, who are you? You're just some dude out of Vancouver. Yeah, you've got some like localized business. I grew, grew a company and I sold my way to success. But I don't, dude, man, like what? You're going to go and try to sell to the biggest companies in the world, create a vertically integrated supply chain of the areas of the extreme poverty and deprivation and violence where people are comprehensively illiterate and ignorant, places that people believe in voodoo. How will you communicate with them? What would that be like? I mean, just think of the enormity of the project. Right. And so, of course, I received all of the freaking overwhelm with that. Who are you to do that? Why? You can't do that. That's impossible. Okay, you have to give it to someone else. Someone else should do this. But simultaneously, those two thoughts, it also occurred to me like, oh my goodness, like, I can't, I, this is it, this is it, this could actually be a part of the solution. I can't die and not having tried. Mm. But David, who, I mean, you're just some dude. So I had those two conflicting thoughts. And the idea, the birth of the plastic bank came in the third idea. The true origin of this story, the origin of us being on a call together, occurred in the third thought, which was David. You do not need to be the person who could change the world. You only, only, slowly need to become the person who could. And that's where I found my freedom. That's where I found the space to then be able to step into the journey of becoming the person. And it turns out the greater that I become that person, the greater than the work shows up. The greater I become that person, the greater the world changes. So it didn't become a journey about creating an organization. It came about creating myself. But I would pose that it was much less about becoming something and much more about ending something. And I allude to ending the sense of self, the sense that I might not be the right person to do it, the sense and the attachment to living in the eyes of others, doing things to look good or not look bad, ending the pursuit of money, ending the pursuit of the superfluous, the meaningless. It came about ending all those things, that everything that was left was the beautiful, touching, 
heartfelt love that is the most pervasive and persuasive energy and gift that we could all provide to each other and to the world. And the more I got out of my own way, the more change I got to experience. For those that are looking at a challenge, say as you were with Plastic Bank and feeling that same feeling of who am I to be taking this on? Or who am I? Am I gonna be able to do this? And they're sitting in that frame of reference right now. What what were the steps that you had to take in order to shift your mind to say, no, it's it's who I need to become, not who I am now? There's only one step. A decision. You decide. So simple. But yet so hard. You decide. And in the decision. Nothing is done until someone decides. There's a quote about providence. I don't have it in front of me. I can't can't recite it verbatim, but it communicates that in the decision, all forces come to your aid. Everything changes. Energy arrives in the decision. It's that simple. You decide, but most are afraid to make the decision. They have hope. They would like things to be a certain way. They wish. It seems that they always have one foot out the door, an escape hatch. They're never actually in. They've never actually decided. Touching on Plastic Bank and when you were discovering that uh, root of the problem, you know, how we view plastic, I think it's both extraordinary and simple because... You're just changing that simple frame of reference. When we're looking at a complex issue or a seemingly complex issue, such as you know the plastic uh, pollution in the world, how do we get to that core root of the problem? I can only speak of my journey. You know, I began knowing that countless, countless animals were dying. There was pain and devastation occurring around the world. And that we were at jeopardy of tipping the very environment that our existence relies upon. And my ambition, of course, save the ocean. Save the ocean from plastic. And of course, a lot of people would have gone and as they did, like Boy and Slat and the Ocean Cleanup Project, oh, I'll go clean the ocean. Well, that's urgent and I get it beach cleanups like people who try to sell bracelets or other stuff it's it's urgent i get it it's beautiful i think more powerfully communicate is habitat restoration go restore the habitat to give wildlife a chance to restore itself but what was what was important see there's urgent and then there's the important important was to keep the plastic from entering the ocean to begin with okay cool well where does that occur Wait, where is the plastic coming from? Oh, poverty? Well, the majority of plastic entering the ocean is coming from areas with poverty. Well, okay. Why? Well, the government, of course, can't afford recycling infrastructure. They don't have waste management. Right. So what's the only option? The only option is to throw it in the river or in the environment or burn it. Oh, okay. 
I see, so it comes from poverty. And it's because there's no alternative. Oh, I see, so the reason that the ocean is dying is because people don't have an alternative to dispose of their waste. Oh, okay. So if we created an alternative that created a space for people to return their material before it entered the river or the canal, that could be a part of this. Oh, okay, hold on a second. Huh. If there was an incentive, because I knew that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, and I couldn't convince people to do anything, but they have a human motivation to serve themselves. Oh, hold on a second. And in areas of poverty where there's no hope and they don't even know where the meal tomorrow will come from, what if there was an opportunity for them to use it like money and they could actually change the world? They didn't even know that, or they didn't even care that it was changing the world, but it was really only about putting food on the table and keeping their children from being sick, but that was a huge incentive. Oh, so hold on a second. So what if we ultimately created a space for people to have access to medical care, insurance, cooking fuel, clean water, and we took the pain of poverty away? Oh, so hold on a second. What we need to do is solve poverty. If we solve poverty, we don't see poverty in the environment. We don't see degradation occurring in the environment. If I end human poverty, oh, this is not an ocean plastic issue. This is a poverty issue, which is why the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals are in order from 1 to 17. Number one, end poverty. Creating, you know, entrepreneurs in the world's most poorest country, really liberating them from Maslow's hierarchy of needs hamster wheel that they're continuously on. Speak mm -hmm. to some of the how this is helping. Well, to we actually don't them. do anything. We don't do anything. We create a space where people can have their own transformative learning experience, mm -hmm. where they are awakened to it because now it's their idea which is the beginning of the end of poverty. They didn't give you anything. Which is what an NGO wants to do. They want to confine you. They take you from your back and onto your knees, perpetually begging. Or entrepreneurship will take you from your back to your feet. Because when you're on your feet, you can lift others onto their feet. If I put you on your knees, at best, you'll take people and put them on their knees too. Hmm. It's the difference between the NGO world and the business world. We need to be on our feet, strong, united, unified, lifting others who will then lift others. You see, when we communicate the hierarchy of human needs, that level of actualization, top of the pyramid includes helping others. And a part of what we need to do is to create the space for people to help people as well. The project is far deeper than just stopping plastic from entering the ocean. It's a beautiful, gifted human endeavor that happens to include creating a space where we can all love and be the space that creates love and service beautiful gift. I didn't invent any of it. I just saw a different way of thinking. And all I've been doing is showing people a different way to think. And then they figure out the rest. I think that's a powerful part of Plastic Bank. As you mentioned earlier in the interview, 
you know, when most people would see plastic washing up on shore, they may be like, okay, I need to clean the plastic from the ocean where, you know, you looked at it at a very different angle, you know, getting to the root cause and saw a business from it. I'm thinking from your entrepreneurial mindset. Can you speak to that? Perhaps it was seeing the business. Perhaps, again, in my experiences, everything that pointed me here, what it let me do was see and try to reveal value. Maybe that was the paradigm. Mm. You know, I've come to learn in the execution of this, the more value I create in the world, the more value I, I get. What a misnomer for businesses or publicly traded companies that serve shareholders first, that they have to extract value from the world. Where I hope that the new realm, the new possibility of business is powerfully creating value for the world. And the more value that I create, the more I benefit from. With the Plastic Bank, we really are win to the sixth power, maybe more. Win, 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 win. The collector wins, the consumer wins, the brand wins, the environment wins. My business wins. The plastic wins. See, the plastic even wins. It becomes new again. Everything wins. When I make the plastic new again, the poor win. When the plastic is new again, the brand wins, the consumer wins, we win. When our collector wins, then the brand wins and the environment wins. When the relationship between the consumer and our collector is a win, then of course the brand won and we won. There is no not, there is there is no, there's no, this just sounds weird to me, but there's no not win-win. Win-win or no deal does not exist, does not not exist. It is only win-win or no deal. It is only as a result of advocating for everybody to win. You know, I purport to love being a verb, an action. To love someone is to do for them. It's not a feeling. It's selfish to say, oh, I love you. I have a feeling for you. You did for me. That's not me doing for you. I have a feeling because something you did, selfish. Love the feeling is a fruit of love the verb. When you were first getting your partners for Plastic Bank, was it easy to have them see this win-win situation? Or did you have difficulty? No. (laughs) (laughs) Was it easy? Nothing about this whole journey has been easy, let me assure you. There's so much that I've had to give up in this. Thinking that they should be a way, act a way, do a certain way. That would have been easy. Where was the learning lesson in all of that? Mm-hmm. So no, they didn't see that way either. And when I first started, you know, people, you know, seven, eight years ago, people aren't, I mean, it's a modern phenomenon to have everyone aware of ocean degradation. That wasn't available at the time. People didn't talk about it. So no, not easy. No, it created fortitude, but we were born in that because we understand we had to understand more powerfully how to, how to use it as a marketing story, how to have our customers win further, how they could gain more business with it, how they could be more autonomous with it, how they could give themselves a unique market position with it. I mean, it, it, it fortified 
the why for the customer because we had to learn it so we could more powerfully communicate it because it all comes from words. So we use our words to create the realm of possibility or reality that we want to live into. First from the tongue, which is well biblical, spiritual, metaphysical. We create in communication. So the origin of it all, first in thought, then in word, first in thought, then in reality. It's all part of that spiritual journey that has unfolded for me. Mm. It's been remarkable. It was not me seven years ago (laughs) at all. At all. As you continue on this journey and more solid understanding than you did in the beginning of the why behind this, how are you continuing to scale Plastic Bank? It's an exponential journey. I mean, it's about creating a franchise model. That's why we expand through schools and through places of faith. We're not faith-based. I've got my own, call it a spiritual journey. I had my own awakening to become conscious to like, oh my goodness, I'm not my thoughts. I'm the one who hears my thoughts. Like I'm completely different than what I've ever anticipated. So we're not, we're not associated with any religion. However, I do see the beauty in all of them. It's just love inside of all of them. And then you know, a different story, but we created a powerful program for Catholicism, really beautiful, that includes, you know, a set of learnings and all, it's just a whole structure around it uh, that engages the parish. And so that every parishioner doesn't just bring their offering on Sunday, but they bring their recycling with them. It's so that every church around the world gets to become a collection location. And, and for the church, it's actually their faith in action because it's actually, it's, 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 I mean, set aside testament. It's, I mean, it's just, it is, it is at the, it is at the root. It's a tenant of the faith. Steward the earth, steward the poor. And for for faith, they actually, they're so inspired because this is the faith in action. And then I, and I'm inspired by the thinking that this may be, you know, one of those greatest opportunities for for the Catholic Church to really show and exhibit how the millions of places of worship are are truly a gift for everyone, especially right now. And then schools, the same for schools. We have programming for six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds that go home and teach their parents about recycling and about the need of environmental stewardship that then encourages the parents to bring the recycling to the school. Because... Even the smallest village around the world, no matter where you are, has a place of faith and a place of education. So it allows us to expand globally, exponentially, quickly, as the world needs us to. So really more franchise model, more of an opportunity for us to expand fast, which is what the world needs, because the ocean cannot wait. Yeah, how do you, you know, with a growing population... And everything. How do you beat the clock on a problem such as plastic pollution before it reaches a critical point? Totally. I, you know, and listen. I, and I don't have every answer. I got to figure it out. I'm just doing what mm-hmm. I'm doing. I know. I know what we do is about expanding quickly, rapidly, touching people. You know, working in education or ending poverty with it, creating a monetary system. You know, and everything else inside of what we do is we've created a banking application as well, right? In partnership with IBM, we've created a blockchain-based banking application. 
that doesn't just create the authenticity and transparency and traceability and everything else we need, but it ultimately provides credit rating for the poor. So the more frequently you return the material, the higher quality in your social circle and everything else, we can substantiate your reliability, which is credit rating. So we can give credit rating, so we can work in financial institutions to be able to provide greater access to financial tools based on how you've substantiated your gift and your service into society. So you don't need to have a, a birth certificate. You don't need to have a bank account. We can just give you a way that exhibits power in your life. It's exponential. It's so beautiful. I think one of the amazing things about these being in these communities is the entire marketplaces and economies that you've, you know, helped to foster in these environments, you know, when they're able to bring the plastic and trade that for credits and then use those credits to, you know, buy things within their, their community. It's exponential in their community. Yeah. It's, it's true alchemy. We're plastic alchemists. We turn plastic into gold, but I use gold metaphorically. Because when you trade plastic into tuition, that's exponential. When you take when you take someone in sheer poverty and sheer ignorance and you and you and you help them read, you ultimately help them see. And we can take and we can take the blind metaphorically. Imagine walking around unable to read. Every street sign is dangerous, you have no idea. How do you walk yourself through the world when you can't read? So I've engaged in creating literacy programs and other things for our collectors. See, that's an exponentiality. That's a next level up from garbage to sight. What will that add in the world? What does that add even into the economy? What happens when I truly create someone who can create? You know, uh, the ambition is to create creators. And those people take people from their back and put them in their feet and create creators. So we're creating creators who create creators. <laughs> what responsibility do you think we have as entrepreneurs to create solutions to these grand challenges? I don't care if it's your responsibility or not. Well, hold on a second. I'm afraid I'll rephrase this. Set aside the fact that it's your responsibility. Who cares? Because there's such an amazing opportunity in it. If you really want to look at entrepreneurship, like if you're not creating abundance and serving the world, you are limited. What are you trying? I mean, like open the proverbial phone book and look at just plumbers in your own city. How many are you going to find? A couple hundred? Like plum? what? You're trying to compete on like, do you know how many people are actually trying to change the planet? Like none. You know how big the market is? <laughs> it's infinite. <laughs> what are you playing so small for? Stop it. The only reason you're playing small for is because you've got thoughts in your head that have you think that you're not the person who can do it. So you actually get to sit back and go, I don't need to be the person. I get to slowly become it just as you would need to be in your own community to launch your own freaking small little small-minded plumbing business. And I only use that as emphasis. And I totally get it. I, I love everyone who's an entrepreneur, small, large, whatever. I only want to give emphasis to the grandeur that lies with you. And inside of everybody who chooses to be on a journey of just becoming, free yourself, have your small business, but be in the becoming of something great. And the best way to do that is by embark on something that is bigger than yourself that then becomes a calling, a beacon, and a magnet 
to the person you need to be. Because when you start with that, it extracts you from your sense of self. And there's a gift in your own seeing, a gift in being able to look back and say, there I am. And then the world sees it too. You have a belief that the journey is the destination. Who do you feel? Who do you feel you've become on this journey? It's not about becoming. I'm going to communicate it again. It's about ending. Ending. It's about. It's about stopping being everything that I thought that I was, or needed to be, or what my parents thought that I should be, or teachers thought that I should be, or some ex thought that I should be. All those people who I tried to appease. All those personas that I took on, so I thought that I would fit in, so that people would like me or not dislike me. All of the authenticity that I made real and made me—it's about not being anybody. It's not about being a thing, because a thing is finite. If you choose to be one thing, you give up all other things. The world is infinite. It's about being open to be everything. And to be anything, it's your origination of joy and love and gift and beauty. <laughs> you get to be everything. Nothing affects you. It's really beautiful. It's a beautiful place to be in. It's still an aspiration. I'm on the journey of the awakening. So much less bothers me. So much more means so much less now in my life. It's beautiful. The light. Where do you think this is uh, leading you towards in the future? I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> One of the awakening journeys of all of this is the knowing that time is a complete construct. Like time doesn't exist. That doesn't exist at all. The only, the only thing that can ever exist has ever existed or will ever exist. The only thing that can ever exist is right now. Anything that will happen in the future will only happen right now too. Anything that ever happened in the past that you've ever experienced only happened right now. You have a memory pathway to a right now. Call it the past. You have an aspiration to something that might occur in the right now. So I have right now. Leading me anywhere, it's 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 bringing me back. It's allowing me to be alive right now. So I don't have an aspiration or postponed joy for a sense of salvation in the future. You know, this conversation that, you know, when you look at yourself in the past and you take story away, it's about a sense of self. It's about a sense of identity. Your past is your identity, and then we want to be right over the identity. And then we fight to be right over our sense of identity. How crazy. I was abused as a child, and this means this, and this means that. That's who I am. Don't tell me I'm wrong. They wronged me. I'm this way because they wronged me and I will be this way for the rest of my life. What? No, you're not. That occurred 30 years ago. How is it affecting you at this very moment? Other than when you carry it. Or the sense of the future, which is salvation. When I have this much money, then I'll have a car. Then people will respect me. Then I'll be free sense of salvation but that's in the again that's the future and the path that doesn't i have now and i can be free right now in all of the gift and all of the love of it so that's the authentic appropriate honest answer mm. it's nothing in the future what i hope to have is a greater depth 
of the very present moment of my life. The only thing I will ever have. I think, you know, something that holds a lot of people back, as you were mentioning, was a narrative that they, you know, had from their past. And I think what's amazing about your story is your ability to let go of those narratives, even ones that seem very strong. You know, recently you had mentioned at the beginning of the call, the passing of your daughter. And I was curious if you'd be open to sharing, you know, how you were able to... Yeah, that sucked. ...go over that narrative, yeah. <laughs> that sucked. Father's Day is the anniversary of her passing as well. It was a big mm. week. It was a big week. Yeah, Ella. Ella was so remarkable. And, you know, part of the plastic thing is it ultimately got me the beauty of the gift of being able to see the gift of her and in her leaving. And... I know that so many, you know, just in the, and I'm trying to build it in the reference here, but so many people attached to their past, like I, I can't change. There's nothing that can change it. I can't resist it. So I can sit there. Most people want to resist it. I, I mean, I tell parents and I communicate it because I, I look for other parents who have had a loss of a child who still live in the attachment of being the parent who lost a child. Oh, I've lost a child. That means I'm going to be sad for the rest of my life. I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. I'm always going to be the person who lost a child. What? No, you're not. Through the infinite space of the world, so, so I, you know, I can communicate it. And a part of that challenge is that parents, there's no word for it. There's no like orphan, widower. There's no communication, so people get totally lost. But there's no, I can't change it. Nothing I do will ever bring Ella back. So okay, I could be sad. That's not going to do anything. That doesn't change anything. I can't resist it. Right? You know, or or even the attachment. Of, of being, oh, but I was her father and she was my daughter and that's who I am, this attachment to it all. And, and then, of course, there's all the judgment that should have never have happened. And, 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 and that, you know, it means horrible things. Okay. You have no power over any of that. All I have power over is the way that I receive it. It totally, it totally sucked. Oh my goodness, the moment I received the news, we were in New Zealand when it happened. We had to travel international flight back to Vancouver. It was such a long journey. But the moment I received the news, which was delivered to me by my son at 19 at the time after he, he you know, ultimately, <coughs> poor boy, had to administer CPR until the paramedics came and stuff. He uh, then had to deliver the news to his parents, that beautiful soul. And in that moment that I got the news, I was like, oh, okay, I'm about to succumb to grief. I want to give myself freely to grief. But David, don't forget to continue to look for the gift. Be open to the gift you're receiving. There is beauty that lies in here. Find it. Look for it. And so I could give myself to the grief without being attached to it without thinking that it meant something about me or whatever it was. I can just look at it and go, oh, okay, this is what's occurring. Oh, there's grief. There's still grief. And I still get to look at it as the infinite space of the gift. There's grief because I haven't found all the gift yet. Hmm. But I have so much depth as a result, so much love, so much more compassion, so much more is occurring in the world as a result of it. Would have never have occurred otherwise. I mean, it may have, but not like it has. 
Yeah, do you think you use that as power in your creation? It's a superpower. I choose everything to be a superpower. <laughs> superpower. Superpower. Oh my goodness. And all the compassion. I can just stop with people and be with people and look in their eyes and see the enormity of them and stand forward for them and see them as they don't see themselves. I get to hold a space for people to become something that they can't even imagine of themselves. I can see them with the love of their parent, the infinite hope of who they are. I stand forward for everybody. I can see everyone as a child, with all of their pain and their own conflicts, and love them. And it was a super high price to pay. Well, I would, I, I would give the gift back, but, but I can't. So give it, there's no, there's no changing it. So I received it. So what are my options? My only option is to use it as something amazing. I've paid the price in advance, in full. Well, I appreciate you you sharing that with us. Thank you. Thank you for asking. It's beautiful to share. You've said that part of your purpose is to awaken others' consciousness so that you know they may be whole. What are you hoping I to awaken? I guess. It's not, it's not, it's not my purpose. My purpose is to be the person who's awake hmm. because my awakening itself exhibits a different way of thinking and being. And, and I, and I, I would, I hope I, I anticipate I would be inspired by the knowing that other people then saw a different way of thinking. If it's as a result of what I do, that's beautiful, but I'm not doing it for that because that in itself is an attachment is that in itself is not being awake mm-hmm. I just I just am me well David before I get to my last question where can everyone learn more about you <gasps> plasticbank.com super important everyone go to plasticbank.com and be part of our tribe and learn about us and participate with us and know that every time that you say yes to single use materials or anything else you don't need you're voting for it you can't actually be compassionate about the ocean, compassionate about life, while simultaneously degrading it. How hypocritical, oxymoronic. So, so remember, every time you buy something that has excessive material in it, you vote for it. So stop that. And, and, and corporations will give and sell to you what you ask for. So ask for sustainable products. Ask, ask for social plastic. Ask, ask for material that was diverted. Ask for power. Ask for non-virgin plastic. There's 9 trillion kilos of plastic on the earth, yet we keep making more. We have all the material already on the plastic, almost infinitely recyclable. We don't need to make any more, but we are. How fucking futile pardon my language so stop buying stuff with new plastic in it that's ridiculous plastic's amazing amazing gift it's nothing to do with the plastic it's us i use the example at the outset if every bottle was five dollars we know none would be in the environment stop blaming others stop blaming the plastic has nothing to do with the material. It's you. You want change in the ocean? You change. Mm-hmm. You want change in society? You change. And then your changing becomes the space of authenticity and authenticity in leadership. Your vulnerability 
your exposure to receive the lessons of life is, in fact, what inspires others. That in itself creates the space of awareness in someone else to as well begin the journey. My last question is, how can we push the world to evolve? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion. Still, you can't push the world to evolve. You can only create the space where they can choose to become evolved themselves. And that's a journey of self. David, I appreciate you having this conversation today and appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having the show. Thank you for being that person. Thank you for standing forward, going through your own fright, your own vulnerability to create a space where people could be in the communication. I acknowledge you as someone who's on a beautiful becoming journey. So congratulations to you. Thank you for having me here and reaching out and asking me to be on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening and joining the Evolution Revolution. If this episode was impactful for you, then share it with a friend because pushing the world to evolve takes more than just you or I. You want more of this podcast and other great podcasts like it? And you should subscribe to the Podcast Roundup, where every week I compile five to ten amazing podcasts that will help you succeed in life and business. From startups to personal development to neuroscience, there's something unique in there just for you. Plus, I try to send out an email with my thoughts, my analysis, and my advice based on each episode. So you can join that by texting EVOLVE to 509-213-0040. That's EVOLVE, E-V-O-L-V-E to 509-213-0040. Until next time, my friends, keep evolving.